Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it more than you will ever know, probably. But maybe not. I don't know. Um, I do say it a lot, so you probably do have a pretty good idea of how much I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Did you know that about 97% of the United States land area is within rural counties? 97% is rural, right? 60 million people live in these areas. That is about 20%, 19, 20% of the American population still live in rural counties. And in 2018... The New York City area lost more than 100,000 people to other cities and suburbs. That's essentially 277 people leaving every day. Los Angeles and Chicago areas uh, lost 200 and 160 residents every day, respectively. Uh, That is by Derek Thompson. He wrote this in The Atlantic, and uh, that was before COVID-19. These cities were losing population before COVID-19. And with the virus hitting urban areas particularly hard, we are seeing growing interest now in moving to more rural settings. Uh, I'll talk with one millennial who made that leap going from city mouse to country mouse, and he says he's happier for it. I will tell you, you will be happy if you uh, get a mattress from Mattress Man. Take my word for it. Uh, Or not, just go see for yourself then. But if you take my word for it, you're going to be happy. I've got a bed from Mattress Man, and I bought that bed years ago before they ever started advertising with us. Um, So I believe in the product. It's a great product. They're great people over there. It's a great store. Uh, Chuck, the owner, is a great guy. He hires veterans like on purpose. He goes out and seeks veterans to hire. He does a ton of charity work in the area. He donates beds uh, for local causes. That's the kind of guy he is. But you're probably thinking to yourself, what does this mean for me and my my sleep? Well, you're going to get a great night's sleep. I mean, you really are. When you got a mattress from Mattress Man, how could you not? They've got, for example, the 120-day comfort guarantee. So if you're not satisfied with the mattress, they'll swap it out for you. Local five-star delivery service. They ship nationwide. So if you buy your mattress off of mattressmanstores.com, no worries. They'll get it to you. And uh, take advantage of their deal. Time is running out on this. Zero, zero, zero. Okay. They're zero, zero, zero deal, triple zeros, triple goose eggs, zero down, zero percent APR for up to 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. Okay. This wholesale has been extended for you. All right. If you want an adjustable base, well, you can get a free one with the purchase of certain mattresses. Do you want a free box spring? Well, if you buy one of the Biltmore mattress uh, mattresses, then uh, you get a free box spring with that purchase. And the Biltmore mattress collection by Restonic, uh, they're made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses at the Biltmore. So you know they're good, right? Uh, go check them out online, mattressmanstores.com or uh, go on into any of their four local locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville uh, and experience the difference for yourself. Or just take my word for it and buy immediately right now. I'll wait. Thank you. Okay, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. Um, I also want to thank some of the sponsors of the program, the patrons, rather, of the program, folks. 
uh, for example, like Jeff and Nicole. I really appreciate you guys. And Peggy and Nancy, Easy, Yuri, Lou, David, Brian, Karen, Sherry. I appreciate the support. I couldn't do it without you. If you want to be a patron of the program, you actually get access to exclusive content. And uh, we do live streams once a week for all these folks, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, if you want to become a patron, head on over to thepetecalendarshow.com, uh, and all of the descriptions, act- or all the links, rather, in the description of the podcast here. Um, let's see, what else do I need to tell you? Stacy Redman from Red Rock Photography is going to be at the Maggie Valley Summer Arts and Crafts Fair this weekend, July 11th and 12th, at the Maggie Valley Festival Grounds on Soco Road. So go see for yourself what I've been talking about, why I'm a fan of his work. Uh, Red Rock Photography, Red Rock Photo NC. It's this weekend. Go check it out. Joining me now is Matthew Hoagland. He is the author of a book called Think Small, A Millennial's Guide to Building a Meaningful Life in Rural America. Uh, And he joins us now on the telephone from his home in Caswell County, North Carolina. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Hey, Pete. I'm doing great. How are you, sir? I am doing well. So full disclosure here, I guess. Uh, We've known each other for years, since 2012, basically, when I arrived in Asheville. uh, And uh, you were a listener to the program. uh, And uh, people may remember you were the the one who tried to get me to play Bread, I believe, uh, on the radio show. (laughs) And uh, references to uh, a Patsy Kiever's endorsement at virtually every opportunity you could find. So that's Matthew. That's correct. Yeah, I've been a listener of yours since 2012. I have probably only ever missed about five episodes of yours between the radio show and the podcast. That's very uh, since flattering. Your, your entire your entire Western North Carolina broadcast career. That's we very even took flattering. Some road trips. We've even taken road trips to um, the West Coast and back. And in the car over the iHeartRadio app, I would listen to you with my <laughs> wife. Uh, begrudgingly listening in the passenger seat as well. So, but yeah, for for years and years, I would email and try to get you to play uh, bread and cake, uh, no relation, no, uh, and uh, Steely Dan and all my weird, quirky, eccentric musical tastes for a millennial. Yeah, for a millennial, very weird. For a millennial, that's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. So, um, all right, so let's uh, so let's talk about this book. And I I, I did read it, and um, it's funny that it. Sort of, you know, Lord works in mysterious ways here. No such things as coincidence. But uh, my wife and I, we were actually, we are contemplating moving outside of Asheville city limits to get out of uh, the area and to make a decision. What kind of a lifestyle do we want to live? And we've done the urban lifestyle, um, not necessarily really in Asheville. It's, it's, it's quasi urban where we are. Uh, but yeah. we lived in, you know, uptown Charlotte, right in the center city for a while. And we really liked that. It was, you know, hustle and bustle and everything. But we haven't been there in years. Um, we've done the suburban thing, but we haven't really done the rural thing. And so, um, you know, we have some level of trepidation. So I pick up your book and yeah. I'm like, oh, great. I mean, it is by a millennial. So I have to, you know, I've got to get over that first as a Gen Xer. But don't be afraid, uh, <laughs> Pete. Don't be afraid. Well, it's like your your optimism, your millennial optimism comes through, and it it uh, it might. I'm not going to say it melted this Gen X's uh, heart, but um, it, it, I got a lot out of it. I really did. I got a lot out of it. Oh, great. And so, okay. uh, let, let's start sort of at the beginning. Why did you write this? Yeah. How did you write it? Is this some sort of um, uh, basically your like a journal that you turned into a book? 
Yeah, to a degree, you could say that. I did not set out to write a book that would be um, basically uh, kind of a how-to guide for folks to leave big cities and move to the country or move to small towns, but it, it, it kind of became that. So I actually started the book about a year ago. It was mid-July of 2019, and you know, my wife and I, I think we had been to a friend's wedding, and over the years, over the past several years since we moved to Yanceyville, North Carolina, which is a very small town, only about 2,000 people, we would run into college friends or we would meet people at weddings and they lived in D.C. or they lived in um, Atlanta or Nashville or bigger, bigger cities. And we would get to know them and talk to them about ourselves. And they go, man, there's no way I could ever live in such a small town, quote unquote, in the middle of nowhere. And um, and in our conversations with them, we would say, well, actually, life is pretty great because we moved out there. We found really cheap places to to rent in terms of an office and a house. My wife got a great job and then she started her own business. She's a flower farmer. Uh, we, we volunteered with a multitude of boards and committees that allowed us to really have a positive impact on our community. Uh, after we got married, we, we basically built our own wedding venue and got married. After we got married, we bought a house for $39,000. And then I got hired on as the county planner here for the uh, for Caswell County, even though I had never even had any local government um, job experience. And so one day I think I was on my lunch break at work and I said, you know, we've had some really unique life experiences here. I just need to kind of get these down in writing before I forget the details. So I opened up a Google doc and I just kind of started typing. And after a a couple of days, I had uh, the first uh, chapter and then I kind of laid out what I wanted the other chapters to be. And slowly over time, if I had a few minutes, I would write a little bit more. If an idea came to me, I would pull out my phone and, and type some that way. And then it was around March of this year, when the lockdown started happening, I had a little bit more free time at home um, because I wasn't going to the offices as much. And I thought, you know, I really need to finish this up and get it out there because it will probably be a good guide for folks that are our age that are stuck in their apartments in New York or San Francisco or other big cities. And they may be considering a move. Here's the template for how they do it. So that's kind of the story of how the book came about. It's actually been about a year in the making. So, all right, first of all, you're from a small town, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, born and raised in Forest City, North Carolina, which right. is about halfway between Asheville and Charlotte. Right. So so this isn't this isn't like your, you know, big city Manhattan boy <laughs> goes out to the <laughs> right, goes yeah. out to the sticks <laughs> and makes his way, right? So you have right. some idea and you had Correct. some idea of yeah, of what you were getting yeah. into. Yeah, I, I grew up in a rural area. Obviously, I went to school in a, a basically a rural setting out at Western Carolina University. And really, my only taste of urban life was when I moved to Asheville after uh, graduation. And I think that um, even though Asheville is a relatively small city, about what is it, about 90,000 and the metro area is about 400,000, um, it's a it's a manageable city. But I I had the hunger in my eye, right? I'm graduating college. I'm a young guy who wants to get out and live kind of an urban lifestyle. And so I had Asheville in my sights and I moved there and life was great for a while. But uh, as I talk about in the book, a few life events led us to make this transition out here. And I'm really, really glad that I did. Which is interesting also because the, the pursuit of authenticity is generally something that, uh, is tagged to millennials. 
And I, I don't know sure. if that's fair or correct or not or unfair yeah. or incorrect, but um, it, it, it's always been sort of associated with your generation. So it, it, when you describe the things in your book and like my sister-in-law and her husband, like they did exactly what you did. They they lived in you know mm. suburban Charlotte. They um, moved on to his family's farm that was basically you know uh, abandoned, and they fixed it back up. They they fixed uh, they fixed up the uh, the barn building. I helped them you know with all of the work to do their wedding there is very similar type of a story okay yeah. so um but so this idea that this return to a simpler life i always thought that was kind of the deal with millennials i know like i'm appointing you ambassador mm. for your generation completely unfairly <laughs> but <laughs> but like what is that uh why why is there this this sort of disconnect then it seems uh, disconnects. How so you've got millennials that are that are flocking to cities for yeah. all of these amenities and for all of the experiences and such. Yet they're also supposedly, mm, okay. you know, more authentic and into the authenticity of things. Sure. Yeah. No. Great question. Yeah. And and I certainly can't speak for all millennials, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that millennials do crave uh, authentic experiences and um, you know political candidates or brands or or things of that nature that are quote unquote more authentic. I think that just ge in general as a culture, we have sent signals to um, uh, to younger people and kids going off to college and young professionals probably starting in around maybe around the 1970s or 1980s that you kind of follow a formula, right? You uh, try to do as, as best you can in high school. You got to go to college. You got to get a college degree. And then your career opportunities are going to be in bigger cities. You know, don't even think about uh, moving to a smaller town or an upstart or anything like that. I think that's kind of been the cultural model for the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I think that to a, a large degree, um, the same is true for my generation. And so I think that uh, in, in addition to seeking the authenticity, they've never really um, truly entertained the option of moving to a small town or moving to a rural area. So uh, that's partly why I, I wanted to get the book out is I want my book to be a template to show them that it's possible and that they can do it. And so... Um this uh, movement back to the sticks, basically. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering how much of it is technology related, you know, specifically the internet. Uh, yeah. it, the internet allows us now to work in ways that we could never work before, and the opportunities uh, that uh, you could th that you could uh, get were pretty limited. If you wanted to expand your opportunities, you had to go to a place with more people, more businesses, right, more economic activity. Yeah. Now, maybe yeah. not so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the Internet has closed a lot of gaps and built bridges to a lot of uh, connections over the last you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. Um, in the book, I talk about how I was fortunate enough to uh, to take my job, which was with a recruiting firm in South Asheville and basically set up a remote office in Danville, Virginia, which is a city of about 40,000 and about 15 minutes away. Uh, my boss was uh, gracious enough to allow me to do that. And I think um, uh, the, the, the coronavirus has taught us that uh, that's more the norm. And I think in the wake of COVID-19, that's going to be more the norm as well. So, so those opportunities are there. Uh, another thing that I do talk about in the book, though, is that a lot of rural America is still not connected. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are in town. We're in uh, the county seat of Caswell County. We have great high-speed internet. 
but man, you drive five or 10 minutes away from our house and there's literally no options other than satellite internet. You can't get anything done on satellite internet. So if somebody's going to seriously entertain a, a move to a small town or a rural area, I would encourage them to do some research on internet connectivity because it's, it's the lifeblood of the modern economy. Right. And that's actually uh, what I was doing uh, night before last, as a matter of fact, looking at the, I mean, we're still looking in Western yeah. North Carolina here, but uh, you know, keeping in mind, you know, you know Christie's, uh, job and what kind of a commute is she going to have? And I was, you know, reading in your uh, book about your commute, which is a five-minute walk down the block. And uh, look, as one who commutes from you know my bedroom into the office, uh, I like I value a short commute, yeah. so I get it. Um, so let's uh, let me go through uh, sort of start from the beginning. We talked about where you're from, a small town, and all that. Um, but you decided when when you and uh, your wife Celia, right, when you guys decided you uh-huh. you, you pop the question on this road trip and uh you get married at this farm and and you were moving to the area because her family mo- her family retired there is that right not necessarily retired but they they are from uh they are uh they they lived in greensboro she grew up in greensboro uh which you know i'm i'm sure the vast majority of your listeners uh will be familiar with it's a pretty large city kind of in the center of the piedmont of north carolina so they lived there but they rented a farm or they rented a barn uh about 30 minutes north in rockingham county which is a pretty rural county a neighboring county here as well because they had about 10 or 11 horses so she's always had horses uh, in her family and so once my wife and her brothers were out of the house and off to college, her, her family started seriously looking at property where they could have a house and a large enough tract of land and a barn to keep all of their horses kind of all in one package. And if you start looking around the Greensboro metro area for rural land uh, that fits that description, you quickly find Caswell County uh, on the map. So hmm. they moved here in 2013. When she finished her master's degree in 2015, she wanted to be close to her family and the horses, um, uh, which, which I think is, is more normal for women than men, that they want to be close to family. And we had kind of talked about it, but I, I, I always thought I might kind of um, slowly persuade her to staying in Western North Carolina. <laughs> and, then, and then as I talk about in the book, one day at lunch, uh, she just kind of drops it on me you know, I want to move to Yanceyville. I want to move to this really small town to be close to my family. And the, my first thought was, that I, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. I, I love being in the kind of the trendy culture of Asheville. And we're going to move to this really small town that I've pretty much never heard of. Not sure that I could do that, but uh, we did it and uh, made it work. Yeah. So um, first thing you do is, all right, got to find a place in Yanceyville. And this is not Yancey county right yanceyville this is correct uh, yeah. right? named, named for the same gentleman but two different locations right so first thing you gotta do is find a rental place and um yeah. that was difficult right you could there were like yeah. no listings yeah uh that was a bit of a a, a a miniature culture shock there as i talk about in the book you know i've always just been able to go online craigslist or zillow or any uh real estate website kind of pop in what you're looking for and then just sort by price or sort by location. And you've got dozens and dozens of options. And I went online to try to find a place to live here in Caswell County. And I think I found like one mobile home that was busted off its foundation way out in the middle of the woods. And that was it. Mm. And I thought, Oh my gosh, there's no way uh, we're going to be able to make this work. 
Uh, but we, we ended up making it work and, and mostly through word of mouth. And that's one thing I talk about in the book as well is a lot of things, whether it's real estate or, you know, even just a lawnmower or an old truck or anything like that. It's, it's all done. Um, a lot of it's done through word of mouth in rural areas. And uh, that's another piece of advice uh, for folks as well. I'm talking with Matthew Hoagland. He is the author of a book called Think Small, A Millennial's Guide to Building a Meaningful Life in Rural America. The reason I mentioned and brought up this uh, this rental story is because of what you just said there is the word of mouth being the key. Um, and this is, I, I kind of chuckled to myself as I was reading it because, um, again, I, I know I harp a lot on this, the generational thing with you. I don't know why that is, but like, <laughs> It, it to a Gen yeah, Xer, I'm 10, like I'm only ten years. I know, you, I know. By the way, I'm an old, I'm an old millennial. So. Right, but the idea that you were like, huh, personal interaction with people that might be the way here. <laughs> like, I thought it's like such, yeah. <laughs> such a millennial epiphany, you know. Um, yeah, that, sure, but it, yeah. it's actually one of the things I learned uh, years ago, and it's not something actually that's really intuitive. Which is when I was looking for work before I came to Asheville, uh, and I read a book called "What Color Is Your Parachute?" And uh, in the book, he talks about the the most successful way that people find jobs is still what he called the Yellow Pages method, which a lot of people probably don't even know what the Yellow Pages is anymore, but you basically go through the yellow pages and find the place that you want to work for. And then you go there and you knock on the door and you give a resume to mm. somebody and you talk to them. And what is that? It develops that personal connection. And a lot of times you end up learning about other opportunities through those interactions. Um, and it's something that I think we've gotten away from in our, you know, quote, connected society. We've lost those personal relationships that actually do open a lot of doors for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and yeah, like, like I talk about, you know, my, uh, uh, my first move in, in looking for real estate or looking for jobs has always been online. You know, once we started looking out here and certainly once we moved out here, uh, it's a different, uh, template. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it, it's simple advice. Um, you know, I don't think that I am particularly gifted or special, but I think that having, having gone through these experiences, I can kind of relay that quote-unquote wisdom to others, uh, even if it's just kind of simple advice. I th but I think you, you may, I don't know, maybe you're humble or you're, I don't know, you're underselling, I think, your skill set, which is you don't have any problem talking to just about anybody. And <laughs> I mean, like, I, I've noticed that. And so you can you can go in there and talk to people, even if you don't agree with them on everything, you just have that kind of personality. And um, so I guess I wonder if there are people that 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 may not be as comfortable of a thing for them to do to strike up a conversation with a you know with somebody um but you actually offer a piece of advice on this late in the book for your taco tuesday idea which uh, <laughs> i thought was actually brilliant so tell people what your taco tuesday idea was gotcha yeah so as i talk about in the book um uh, when my wife and i moved here i was in my early 30s and she was still in her late uh, 20s and inevitably anywhere you go in rural america the population demographic is older right you're you're just not going to see a lot of people that are your age so we would always kind of uh be scouring the landscape for folks that were our age we would we would spot a young couple at the farmer's market or in the grocery store or whatever <laughs> and uh and so, just kind of like sidle up next to them yeah, oh hey how's yeah. it going <laughs> which sounds really desperate and cheesy right but uh you got to do what you got to do i mean you you know uh, social interaction is, is key to a healthy lifestyle. So, but yeah, so we would, we would, um, uh, meet friends or, or meet uh, a younger couple at the farmer's market and 
we had developed this habit of going to our local Mexican restaurant every Tuesday. They got dollar tacos, they got discount beer, and they got discount margaritas. And like I talk about in the book, if somebody doesn't appreciate dollar tacos and discount beer, then I probably don't want to be friends with them anyway. So we would just kind of <laughs> – there you go. <laughs> we would uh, <laughs> we would strike up a conversation and say, hey, well, why don't you guys join us uh, Tuesday, 730? We get together every Tuesday for Taco Tuesday. Just you know, shoot us a text. Let us know if you're coming so we can tell the restaurant how big of a table that we'll have. And sometimes it's been uh, just uh, four or five of us. Sometimes we've had, you know, a table of 12 or 14. But it's just been a great introductory way to meet people. Uh, things are a little bit different uh, recently with COVID. But um, it worked. You know, we developed a lot of really good friendships by just simply inviting folks to join us for, for discount tacos and beer. Have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains so stunning that you couldn't look away? Well, that was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stacy is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades after he realized life is short. You don't get time back. So do what you love. Don't regret not spending time with family or chasing your dream. His work is brilliant, striking, and easily affordable for any space. See for yourself at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Use promo code PETE for 20% off. That's redrockphotonc.com. Have you been trying to set up or improve your business's website? It can be overwhelming for any of us. I know it was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. The show is also made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Current events have impacted us all in many different ways, and maybe you need to sell your house. But you're thinking, I don't want the traffic coming through my house right now. Well, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they've got investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. She's the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house. You should, too. Call her today. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. The show is also made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Are you ready for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old-school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, dog tags, gear, Old Grouch's on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and at Old grouch.com I'm talking with Matthew Hoagland. He is the author of a book called Think Small, a millennial's guide to building a meaningful life in rural America. The website is howtothinksmall.com. One of the other recommendations you had in the book when you uh, got to town you met the the only realtor in Caswell County, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. so that was uh, – and for folks who may not know, that it really is a, a great way to find out what houses are available for rent, especially if there's only one realtor. But uh, yeah, she's going to know what every, <laughs> what's happening with all of the, the properties. Uh, but uh, a lot of times, yeah, the uh, in a smaller uh, setting like that, 
the real estate agents are going to they're going to be the the uh, the people with the intel. Um, but also, you recommended that people just drive around the area and look for for rent signs. And this was one of the things sure. radio guys have been doing this for years. When you show up in a in a new town, and you know, radio people get fired all the time. You go to a new city, and so what you got to do is learn the city, and you just got to drive around, and you got to learn the roads, and you got to see the different areas. Um, it, and it it gets to something that. It, it, there's a there's a common theme in almost all of your experiences, which is showing up. It's you know ninety percent mm. of life is showing up, right? These aren't um, these aren't principles that are completely brand new. You're not reinventing the wheel, right? It's just uh, for some reason we we do a really bad job of explaining and teaching younger people these <laughs> keys to success. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I guess I would have to thank my parents for that. Uh, they, they must have uh, they must have instilled something in me at a younger age. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like I like I like I uh, talked about earlier, you know, a lot of stuff is just a, a sign in the front yard or or sold by word of mouth. So when it came time to look for our house, uh, uh, right before we got married, we started looking for a permanent house. And I had driven down the road that we live on a few times, uh, and I thought it was a nice area of town. So I always kind of revisit it just to see if anything new, any new signs were out. But one day I rode by, there was a for sale sign in front of our house and just a phone number. There was no price, no listing of bedrooms or bathrooms or any details, literally just a phone number. And so I called the guy up and arranged uh, 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 to come and see the house and Thankfully, we got it. It's turned out to be a wonderful house uh, for us. And so you've got pictures of this because you bought it for $39,000. I was not aware. <laughs> you mentioned in the book that banks don't do mortgages for yeah. for that little amount of money. I say little amount of money. That's, you know, yeah. $39,000, still a lot of money, but uh, but they won't they won't do a mortgage for that. So you did a construction loan as well Correct. on top of it and fixed up this place. Correct. Yeah, that was something that we learned as well. And I had no idea. But uh, for your listeners out there, if somebody's going to go scour the hinterlands for really, really cheap real estate, then keep in mind that a lot of banks don't finance anything at all under $50,000 in total uh, total uh, cost. So we found the house for it was li- it was actually technically thirty nine nine. So I managed to talk the guy down about two and a quarter percent because I said, hey, listen, man, it needs some repairs. So it cut me a deal on the price here. Knock $900 and so, off the right, price. Right. <laughs> uh, every little bit helps, Pete. That's right. No, I and hear you. So, I hear you. So we, we, we agreed on a price and we drafted up a purchase agreement. And then I went to a nearby uh, construction company and they did uh, they started out as a disaster restoration company then they got into remodels then they got in, into new construction so they had uh some really good experience uh for what we were looking for and we had their estimator come out and look at the house and we kind of talked with him about what we had in mind for some of the renovations so their proposal was a a budget of seventy five thousand dollars so coupled together we were in the neighborhood of about 115 which the bank was much more comfortable with financing right um, but well, still, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No, but go ahead. Still, obviously, uh, a house for a three thousand square foot house for one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars is still unheard of. And you're in da- uh, like you're quote downtown, right? In the in Nancyville, yeah. yeah, yeah. We are inside the town, inside the town limits. And um, one of the great things about being here, as I talk about in the book, is we do have quite a few walkable amenities, even though we're in such a small town. 
Well, and that's one of the things, and this kind of dovetails, I don't think I mentioned this yet. You are now the planning director of the Caswell County Planning Department in Yanceyville. And to Correct. be clear, because when I saw that, I said, I didn't know he had any experience. And then I read the book, and I'm like, no, you didn't. You had zero experience in this line of work, right? So, uh, but but one of the things that uh, has always fascinated me about the development uh, stories and topics and watching Asheville and even Charlotte back, you know, 20 years ago, um, is that Main Street USA, the very things that you're finding that you love about where you live and the walkability and everything is pedestrian related and to scale. A lot of those things got zoned out of existence in the 70s, right, because of the right, automobile. Yeah. And now it's all kind of coming back. Uh, and well, yeah. it, well, it was under neo-urbanism. Now I'm not so sure if you know, that survives in its current form with COVID. I don't know, like, everything's going to have to get a lot bigger. <laughs> a lot more wider <laughs> yeah. open spaces, I'm afraid. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it's one of the sad things that occurred, uh, and it drove a lot of our development patterns. Uh, but there are still, and that's one of the things that makes Asheville so great, the downtown, is that it's still, it got kind of frozen in time because it went bankrupt, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and so, so I'm assuming that uh, as now the, the planning director, um, your your interest is in preserving that kind of a development model to allow that stuff to occur. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I should clarify that, um, I, you know, I work at the direction of the county commissioners and the uh, county manager. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I, I work off of their directives, but they have asked that I put together um some uh, some draft uh, zoning proposals for the county. Caswell County is still one of uh, a few counties in North Carolina that does not have countywide zoning. And so um, one of the draft ideas that we have put together uh, that I put together does involve kind of the small town uh, walkable. Um, uh, what did you call it? The, the neo urbanism, neo urbanism. Yeah. yeah. Some of those principles. And so not to get too uh, into the weeds here, but North Carolina uh, the North Carolina General Assembly recently overhauled all of their statewide land use planning and zoning regulations and compiled everything into one new chapter so that whether you're a county or a municipality, you all kind of follow the same exact legal language. One of the things that they put into that code is something known as form based code. Mm -hmm. And what one of the brilliant things about form based code is your your old school, outdated zoning codes look at use, right? What is the use of this property? Will it be residential, commercial, or industrial? And they will zone counties or towns, will zone entire parcels and entire blocks into those very rigid categories. Well, form-based code simply looks at the form. And so you might have a house next to a church, next to a doctor's office, next to a dog park and a retail store. But once the development goes in, then the look and feel, and especially in our case, uh, we have a lot of historic structures throughout the county. We want a historic look and feel to the end 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 result, but uh, the look and feel, the form of the development would be the same. So yeah, that is what that is certainly something that is attractive to me, and uh, something that I've been fortunate enough to draft and put before our county leadership as as a zoning option for the county. So you landed this job because one of the other lessons of life, right? <laughs> Not what you know, but who you know, and yeah. and showing up. You you started. Because you, I think you called yourself in your book a political nerd. Um, yeah. That you started going to 
county commission meetings when you arrive in town, right? So yeah, like, and I'm sure your wife was like, "Oh God, what is he going? These <laughs> county commission meetings." That's what my wife says yeah, when I watch yeah, them on television. Yeah. So, um, so you go to, so you start going to these meetings, and there's nobody there, right? There's nobody at these meetings, and people right. who, who are in small towns, they're like, "Well, of course not, right?" They they they're listening to this thing. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, this is all, all common knowledge to them. Um, but this struck you because you're you, you were used to Asheville and Buncombe County with lots of people yeah. showing up all the time. Yeah, that was a huge culture shock. So living in Asheville for a, for a few years, I've always been a political nerd. And so I was a political nerd back then, too. So I would go to county commission and city council meetings and people would literally hiss at the elected <laughs> officials. Uh, you know, they were. They were on the microphone and they were standing outside and they brought signs and and they were kind of foaming at the mouth. And so I get to Caswell County and I think, well, I'm here now. I need to get to know the local landscape. I go to a a county commission meeting and it was literally uh, the board, the county manager, the county attorney, the clerk and about four people. And I was one of about four. (laughs) And and in a small town, everybody knows everybody. So I'm a new, relatively younger guy walking in there. And I'm sure they thought, who the hell is this kid? You know, is he from um, uh, the Greensboro newspaper or something like that? But um, the, the, that chapter is entitled How to Get Involved and Make a Difference, uh, chapter four in the book. But those experiences, just by showing up when basically there was no one else there uh, and I did not uh, get up and speak about the agenda. I just kind of sat there and absorbed things. I would ask uh, questions of uh, staff after the meetings. I would, you know, shake the hand and introduce myself to county commissioners after the meeting and just kind of slowly get to know the folks that were uh, in charge. But uh, that led to further board and committee involvement, which led to us being a, being able to really contribute positively to our community. That led to a great relationship with our county manager. The county manager informed me of the job uh, opportunity for the county planner position. I applied. I was only about five or six people to apply. And I think two of the people that applied thought that a county planner like plans special events for the county. <laughs> And so and so if you really narrow it down, I was one of about three with actual with some zoning and regulatory knowledge. Right. And so, yeah. And and so it was just yeah, meeting the right people, being in the right place at the right time with kind of just enough qualifications to make me a plausible candidate for the job. And uh, I I thank God that I got it. Well, so and, and a couple of things here. First, that's the kind of impact that you can have at a local level. Uh, right. particularly in a small town. And that comes through time and time again. I think you you mentioned it several times that you don't think you could have done that and had this kind of impact in a bigger city. I mean, maybe, yes, in a city the size of Asheville with you know 90,000 people. Yeah. But you start yeah. getting into the Raleigh and Charlotte-sized cities, and it's very difficult to have that kind of, a, of an impact because now you've got people, uh, like the, the job that you applied for, you're one of three candidates or whatever instead yeah. of one of 300 candidates. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, uh, without a doubt a big lesson to be learned. And, and we, we talked about the authentic experience that, that millennials want and, and to be a part of something more meaningful. You know, when when I when I kind of zoom out, I think I am the planning director for one of North Carolina's 100 counties. And I could potentially have a huge role in shaping the future of this county for generations. Mm -hmm. And if I were in Raleigh or Charlotte or any other big city, that wouldn't be the case. And um, I've actually told the story a few times, kind of a funny story. Uh, As part of this job, I have to go to the UNC School of Government to learn about 
um, uh, state regulations and planning and zoning and subdivision ordinances and things of that nature. And so I went to a class uh, maybe about a year ago, year and a half ago, and I sat down. It's a big auditorium style seating, and I, I go in and I, I'm kind of late, so I just find a seat, sit down, and I happen to be next to this young lady that's probably about my age, maybe a few years younger. And I get to know her and just kind of striking up a conversation. I think she had a a, a, a planning and zoning degree from NC State, mm-hmm. and I only had I only have a communications degree from <laughs> Western Carolina University. And uh, so I said, "So what do you do? I, I assume you work in planning and zoning. What is your job?" And she goes, "Well, I work for the city of Raleigh, and I am a permit technician." which means when people come in and they start to apply for uh, a, a land development uh, permit, I, I handle their application and then I turn it over to my boss. And then she goes, what do you do? And I said, well, I am the entire department. I handle all zoning and all subdivisions and all watershed regulations and all flood zone issues and future zoning. And I deal with the planning board and I deal with the county commissioners and everything soup to nuts, you know. And so here we are. We're the same age. Uh, She lives in downtown Raleigh. I'm sure she pays, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month for an apartment. And she's one small piece of one huge department. Meanwhile, I have a degree that's not even in planning. And then I have this job and I'm already the the head of the department. Mm-hmm. And so that's the type of opportunity that I that I that I talk about that exists in rural America, that if for somebody who's my age, who wants to make a difference and wants to have a meaningful impact, that's the type of opportunity that exists if you just go out and look for it. It reminded me of one of the chapters in uh, you probably know who this is Jordan Peterson in one of his books, The Twelve Rules of Life. And one of them is before you change the world, pick up your room. You yeah. have right. You have the ability to to influence this one little part of the planet, and what does it look like? What have you done with it? And if yeah. you can't yeah. even get your room in order, and then your house, uh, your yard, and then like maybe your neighborhood, and like and you work out from there, and, and it seems like this is this is where you're devoting your efforts, and it, and a lot of what you wrote, um, I mentioned the sort of the, the, the personal connections that I had with some of your stories with my in-laws, but also it, it, it what came through to me was uh, a decision that, a similar decision that I had made a long time ago, which was uh, people had asked me, oh, are you going to apply for these other radio jobs back when I was a reporter? They, uh, they were hiring up in New York City for a bunch of posts in the, uh, the network radio side, and I was like, no, I, I don't. I don't have any desire to go to these big cities and become Mm -hmm. a small fish in a really big pond um, because I always viewed my role in doing what I do is to be a, you know, a a watchdog of government, sort of a constitutional sense of the, of the profession and small towns and counties, they need that too. And if everybody leaves and everybody goes to the big cities, uh, yeah, great for them. They've got people watching their government. But what about the what about the towns and counties from where those folks came? They need that watchdog service as well. And yeah. so that's an area that I can help, like like yeah. you're like like you discovered uh, in Yanceyville. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't really talk about this in the book either, but just kind of a broader uh, cultural note. I think there's a lot that big cities can learn uh, from small towns and more rural states and uh, small regions where uh, one thing I do talk about in the book is um, we, we're in a small town, but we have uh, trash pickup, we have water, we have sewer. Those are all municipal services. And if anything ever goes wrong with them, a lot of times we get a call back directly from the mayor, which <laughs> is fantastic. But um, 
you know, it's where the rubber meets the road. You know, our town and our county are busy every day thinking up new and creative economic development opportunities and simply getting water to people's houses and looking at maybe expanding the water system or managing the sewer system. A lot of those really fundamental things, making sure that the sidewalk system is adequate or renovating the library. Those fundamental things uh, are what's most important. And so your big Seattle's where things are getting out of control or uh, your, your New York's where young people don't have any influence. I think there's a tremendous lesson that can be learned there where um, uh, the way that it's done in some of these small towns in rural America is really beneficial uh, up and down the ladder. Yeah, because it's a focus on core services, which is what government exactly. is supposed yeah. to be doing in the first place. And sure, sure. Uh, when you're small and you don't have all of the resources and all the revenue, it forces you to focus on the absolute necessities. Um, yeah. So it, it, it also then that, that dovetails into one of the final points I wanted to raise with you is the, the trade off here. And there is there there are trade offs. Right. And I don't yeah. think you deny that uh, it is a different lifestyle. And one of the biggest things is uh, there's nothing to do. Right? <laughs> if you're used to going out to eat, you know, three nights a week and yeah. let's assume that, you know, the coronavirus doesn't uh, completely destroy every single restaurant in America. Um, but like I, I foresee a point where maybe we, you know, we, we are able to go back out and have some sort of uh, normalcy like that. Uh, there yeah. there are fewer things to do, right? Fewer amenities. So what do you fill your time with? How, how do you, uh, you know, how do you pass the days? Well, my day-to-day -day life uh, is quite convenient. Uh, like you talked about, I walk to work. Uh, I walk to my barbershop, the post office. I could, if I wanted to, I could walk or ride my bike to the grocery store, the library, our parks and rec facility. There's a lot of really great conveniences all within walking distance uh, of the house. Now, when it comes to uh, trendy restaurants or new breweries, things like that, that's not here. Mm -hmm. uh, I was joking the other day that I don't think there's ever been a pizza delivered in Yanceyville or Caswell County. Uh, we are. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, you we're, said it was a joke, so I had the rim shot ready yeah, to go. Yeah. <laughs> we are still that um, that uh, rural, uh, but we still have things to do and we still have our own fun. We actually have some mountain biking trails here in town, which are in, in town limits. And uh, early on in the lockdown before my daughter was born, I met up with a few friends and we did a little mountain biking. Um, I, uh, would go over and play tennis with some friends at the uh, parks and rec facility. Caswell County is actually home to the fifth largest acreage of game lands in the state of North Carolina. So there's tremendous outdoor recreation and hunting and fishing opportunities here in the County. Uh, we also have uh, a nearby Lake farmer Lake where you could rent a kayak or a canoe and go out for the afternoon. And then, uh, we are only about 15 minutes from the city of Danville, about 40,000 people and about 45 minutes from Greensboro and about an hour from Raleigh. So if we ever need to travel to a larger area, uh, those things are there. Danville has great restaurants and a couple, uh, microbreweries. But in the larger sense, one thing I do talk about as well in the book, in the larger sense, by not eating out all the time and by not drinking five or six dollar a pint beers, we're able to save a ton of money. And so after we got married, my wife and I did a honeymoon to Costa Rica, uh, which we were able to uh, pay for not on a credit card in 2018. Uh, she ran a half marathon in Zion National Park. So we did a road trip out to Utah and back. 
Le, uh, just last year, she uh, uh, did a flower arranging workshop. As I told you, she runs a flower farm and arranging business. So she did a flower arrangement workshop in Bozeman, Montana. So we did a big road trip out to Montana and back. Um, and so by not having the quote unquote conveniences, which can be very expensive, we save money and we're able to actually have big, much more meaningful, uh, uh, much more important trips uh, across the country. Uh, more often. And that is, without a doubt, a trade-off that I'm willing to take. Final question. Why are you telling people about this? This is like, you don't tell people where the fishing hole is. You don't tell people where your (laughs) sledding hill is. Why are you telling people this? Because they're going to start moving to these places. Well, I hope you're right, because uh, I could use a little bit of a bump in the book sales numbers. So uh, if people are uh, <laughs> truly, truly interested in what I'm saying here, then go to my website, howtothinksmall.com and buy the book. Uh, the ebook is on Amazon now. But, um, you know, if, if, if a few younger people our age want to move into Yanceyville and uh, be our friends, then I would welcome that. Uh, we love meeting new friends. The, the thing about it, though, is the, the canvas is wide open. I mean, there are more rural areas than urban areas uh, throughout the country. And so I think this is an opportunity. If somebody's stuck in their apartment in New York and they can't even leave uh, to go to the park without violating some COVID lockdown ordinance, then now's the opportunity for them to really think about it and say, maybe I want to live near a big lake or maybe I want to live by the beach or maybe I want to live in the Mountain West or any number of things. And choose a rural area where you can, for lack of a better term, conquer life, build a set up a meaningful life. So I don't really fear a lot of encroachment uh, as a result of writing this, uh, but I certainly do hope that people write the book or uh, uh, buy the book. The name of the book is Think Small, A Millennial's Guide to Building a Meaningful Life in Rural America. And by the way, you can read it in, um, well, if you're a millennial, it'll take you a week. Uh, but if you're not a millennial, it'll take you less time than that. It's uh, it's only seven chapters, as uh, Matthew recommends. Uh, you can do one a day, basically. You can read one chapter a day, and uh, it's very doable. And a helpful uh, checklist at the back as well, uh, which was like, how many pages? It was like nine pages of things to check off on your to-do list. Of course, I mean, you did have stuff in here, like if you're getting married. Um, yeah. And uh, that was one of the other things. The barn, uh, you said uh, that... that you and Celia got married in this bar or at the farm, and um, uh, my in-laws had done that. But one of the pieces of advice is, you know, maybe you don't have access to a farm like that. What do you do? You drive yeah. around and you find some places. It's exactly what my wife and I did. We found a place in Charlotte. It was St. Mary's Cathedral. It was uh, huh. it's a county owned historical building it used to be the chapel on on, a, on an orphanage the orphanage is gone and now it's just the chapel and they rent it out for like 150 dollars an hour and you go in interesting yeah, yeah you go in you get married and it's it's like a it's almost las vegas like in the uh, in the scheduling <laughs> in the springtime <laughs> you're just it's just one hour and then the next crew comes in it's just on a constant cycle but yeah you can you wow. can find venues like that really cheap if you uh, if you look around for it, and then that money went obviously to uh, uh, to the open bar in the reception, like that's <laughs> of course, of course, yeah, <laughs> that's how we did it. Anything else you want to add that you think is important or interesting for folks to uh, to hear before we let you run? 
Yeah, I actually do. This is a little bit outside the book, uh, the realm of the book. But I just want to say that uh, I'm a first-time author. I've never written a book, um, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to get it out there and promote it. And obviously, we're in a very tense kind of political time right now. And I just want to kind of set a marker down. I am willing to talk to anybody about this book. Obviously, your show is is more conservative. If a liberal outlet wants to interview me or uh, a Martian, you know, as long as they're not uh, a crazy David Duke character, I am happy to talk to anyone and everyone. I didn't set out to write a political book, uh, but I just think that in our day and age, that's kind of important to mention uh, because it, it's not uh, intentionally political. I don't have any kind of uh, message, but I am happy to talk with any more anyone about it. It's more of a generational thing, um, and, and I just unfortunately. In our in our current time, I just think that that's uh, important to mention. There's nothing in this book that struck me as political. I, I mean, if there was, I would have asked you about it um, because <laughs> I, because I would have detected it and and explored it. Uh, but no, I, I it seemed these all seemed like good pieces of advice for anybody to follow if this is what they're interested in doing. And that's yeah, I think it is generational. I think that uh, as we said at the very beginning, millennials, uh, right or wrong, they get uh, they sort of get associated with this search for authentic experiences. And, um, and, and maybe we all do that to some extent, uh, but, and maybe it's a backlash uh, response to all the, you know, the rise of technology, people now trying to find uh, more authenticity in, in various aspects of their life, because uh, so much of our societies become disposable and high tech and everything else. Um, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I, I didn't detect any kind of political uh, ulterior motives in any of it. Um, and I wish you the best of luck on the book. And, um, and keep us posted on uh, on how it goes. And if I'm ever in Yanceyville, uh, Caswell County, North Carolina, I will look you up, and I will uh, I'll, I'll have to go out to the Mexican restaurant on a Tuesday with you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah, hit me up if you're ever in town. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, one last time, the website is howtothinksmall.com. But uh, again, Pete, I really appreciate it. One of the things that Matthew talked about in his book was the um, his efforts actually as the planning director to get broadband internet access into Caswell County he actually got uh he was uh pivotal in in securing a one and a half million dollar loan or grant rather from the uh, state of North Carolina as part of their effort to connect rural counties to the internet uh now more than ever in these uncertain covid times right um also uh the rural population growth tends to bounce it, it seems to move in cycles of about a decade or so so for example um after 1976 the rural population growth uh, the population plummeted and then a decade later mid 80s you see population growth and then in the mid 90s it shrunk again and then about a decade later growth after 9-11 and then another decline and so now it's growing again Right, it's growing again, and uh, I think there are a lot of people making different decisions now, uh, based on uh, their experience in the COVID era. I know Christy and I are. So that's a wrap for this episode. Please remember subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way you can support the show is subscribing. Consider becoming a patron of the program. You will get cool stuff, exclusive content like the live streams. And uh, all of the links are at thepetecalendarshow.com, uh, or you could just go down to the description of the podcast and click on any of the multitude of links. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>